There is value in remembrance. You know, at Bethel Friends, we don't believe anything magical necessarily happens in communion as far as the, the, the juice does not turn into the blood of Christ, the, the bread does not turn into the body of Christ, but there always is the presence of Jesus with us. I was friends with a Methodist pastor when I was in Cincinnati. I'm always, I, I like to talk to pastors of different churches and denominations. And, it, you know, it's funny, we would get frustrated with things within our denomination. And, and once he said, uh, he called me and said, Steve, I'm so frustrated with my denomination. Let's start our own denomination. I'll give on baptism if you'll give on communion. And, and that's because the Methodists believe uh, they have infant baptism. And in communion, they believe Jesus is mysteriously present in the elements. And, you know, I could really go along with that. Jesus is mysteriously present as we meet in fellowship, as we worship the Lord, as we proclaim God's word. And the Bible teaches there is great value in remembering. All through the Old Testament, starting the second Sunday of January, we're going to start a sermon series on Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And I'm going to show how Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are foundational for our faith. All throughout the Old Testament, we see um, uh, Moses, God tell Moses to teach the people, and then later the prophets and so on, to remember, remember what the Lord did. And we take communion, we are remembering our salvation. Our salvation, of course, started way back in the Garden of Eden, way back in Genesis 3.15, and then, um, bless you, bless you again, um, Way back in Genesis 3.15, we see the first prophecy, and then we go to Luke chapter 1, which we're going to talk about for a few moments now is Luke chapter 1. And we're going to talk about family for a moment, and we're going to talk about angels for a moment. And as we think about family, bless you again. How many of you have family that you love and support and love being around, right? Right? I mean, aren't our family just our joy? We love seeing them. We love being with them. You know, I love studying Winston Churchill. I've referenced him before. He's very quotable, and I like, I like the things he says. And we do have to be careful because sometimes um, things go around that someone said something, and we don't know if they really did. But I don't know if Winston Churchill really said the following or not. But supposedly, he was talking to one of his colleagues and maybe one of his generals during the war or, or whatever, and his, his, his colleague, his friend said, Winston, I never told you about my, my grandchildren. And Winston responded, yes, thank you. <laughs> and, and I don't know, he had a funny sense of humor, but you know, children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, friends, family, siblings, parents, grandparents, they're all so important to us. They always have been. The family is God's first institution, really. And if we look at Christmas, it started with a family, really a few families, at least our Christmas narrative, our, our Christmas, our typical Christmas stories. And, you know, as we look at this, we see that it goes from John the baptizer being born, which we're going to talk about in a minute, to Jesus. John the baptizer was the forerunner, the one who paved the way for Jesus. And Jesus is the point of Christmas. Jesus is the point of the New Testament. Jesus is the point of Luke's gospel. I was listening to someone today uh, preach, R.C. Sproul, on Luke chapter 3 and the ancestry of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus. 
which generally it's accepted that that's from Mary's perspective. And Luke's gospel was primarily written to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. And because of that, it seems as though Luke chapter 3 and the genealogy of Jesus goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Matthew's genealogy goes back to Abraham. You can see that in Matthew chapter 1. And so Luke was saying to the Gentile audience, to the Gentile readers, to the Gentile listeners of his gospel, Jesus is not just a savior of the Jews. Jesus is the savior of the whole world. And Luke records all these stories involving women. And this preacher I was listening to this morning on my run so that I could give my permission to eat two donuts later on. Uh, as I was listening to him, he said, you know, Luke has been called the ladies home journal of the New Testament because there's all these stories involving women. And there's that genealogy in Luke chapter three from Mary's from Mary's line. Jesus is the point. The focus is on Jesus. So Luke begins in Luke chapter one with John's father. We're going to come, come, come to that here in a minute. His father's name is Zechariah, although some translations say Zacharias. And his mother is Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Over the next month, I want to focus on the accounts of angels in Luke chapters one and two. To begin the Christmas narrative, we see the angel Gabriel visit Zechariah. What does the word angel mean? Anyone? Shout it out. Messenger. messenger. I heard two or three people all at the same time say messenger. The Hebrew word is anyone besides Bill. What's the Hebrew word for angel? Malak. Malak. And it simply means messenger. And it may refer to a human messenger such as 1 Kings 19.2 or a divine messenger like Genesis 28.12. A messenger. Think of back then. In ancient times, they would win a battle and they would send a messenger and the messenger would run as fast as he or she could to report the news. That's how we got the word marathon. A guy named Marathon had to run a marathon to report the news of a victory in battle. Then he died. And so we created a competition called Marathon. And people who are crazy do it. It was a messenger. The basic meaning of the word is one who is sent, one who is sent. As a divine messenger, an angel is a heavenly being charged by God with some commission. A heavenly being charged by God with some commission. They were also warriors. The angels would come. They were to be feared. And they had a certain commission, a certain divine message to carry out. When you have a divine message to carry it out, you do it. You do it properly and you communicate it in the proper way. The word Moloch is found 103 times, 103 times in the Old Testament. The Greek word for angel is, anyone? I don't expect you to know. If you do, you get a special cookie or something. I don't have a cookie. Anyways, the Greek word is angelos, angelos. And it is, occurs, it is found 175 times in the New Testament. However, of men, it is used only six times. It is mostly used, angelos, of angels, of divine beings. The word angelos is similar to Hebrew Moloch. It also means messenger who speaks and acts in the place of the one who has sent, who has sent him. God sent the angel Gabriel to announce his plans to Zechariah. This was because Zechariah and Elizabeth were older and they did not have children. Yet, God was going to allow Elizabeth to conceive and John the baptizer would be born. John would prepare the way for Jesus. 
So my theme today is God sends Gabriel to announce his miraculous plan to Zechariah. God sends Gabriel to announce his miraculous plan to Zechariah. So if you're there in your Bibles or on your smartphone, uh, if not, go to Luke 1, and we're going to read verses 5 through 25. We're going to read and talk about these uh, 20 verses today. Next week, the children are going to give us the message, and they're going to do a fabulous job. And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about the angel visiting Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, so we're continuing with angels. But today, the very beginning is not about Mary. It's about Zechariah. Um, so let's read this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife and the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Notice, notice that. They're advanced in years, no child. But before that, it says they were righteous before God. They were walking blamelessly. Now, while he was serving, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. He's, he's chosen by lot. He's going in to burn incense. And the rest are praying. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So he's telling them what John the baptizer is going to do, what his mission is to be. Now let's read verses 18 through 25. And Zechariah responds to the angel. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I love this. We'll come back to it. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Notice that little tag at the end. It's not in the later notes, so you have to listen to this part. Which will be fulfilled in their time. You did not believe my words, but they will be fulfilled. And the people, verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And he realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. What reproach? She would have, been, she would have had reproach in that day and age, looked upon as curse for not being able to have a child. 
Notice the godliness of Zachariah and Elizabeth. I already mentioned it. I've already pointed it out. The passage says they were both righteous in the sight of God. They were both observing the Lord's command. Now, this does not mean they were perfect, but it does mean that they were striving to be. It means that their patterns of their life were following God in his way. They were desiring to follow God in his way. Do we desire to follow God? Do we, do we want to follow God? Do we want it to be said of us, his or her patterns were following God? I think oftentimes we in the American church, are, we just kind of set certain uh, barriers, certain things. Something's going on. I heard a little whistle, but uh, it went away. Anyways, um, I think in the American church, it's the devil, and the devil is in church technology. I think in the American church, oftentimes we set certain parameters, certain road markers, and we say, as long as these things are okay, I'm happy with my spirituality. But that's not the right thing. We want it to be said of us, we're pursuing God. We are righteous before God. We're pursuing God. And that's what was said of them. Yet even when one is godly, one can still trouble. And we're going to see that here in verse 7. You know, they were pursuing God. They were righteous before God. They were following God. But it says she was barren. She could not have a child. Now look, it says they are very old and they are childless. Not being able to bear children, as I said, was a very bad thing in that day. And it was quite a curse. Sometimes people may even think that this is the case because of some sin they have been involved in. But that was not the case for Elizabeth and Zachariah because it had already said that they were righteous before God. They were following God. They're living godly lives. They're observing the Lord's commands. We know from context that this is about the Lord's commands. Zachariah and Elizabeth will be blessed for their trouble. They will eventually still have a child and he is to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. Jesus is Messiah Jesus. Uh, The Greek word is Christos, Christ. He is the Christ. And so he will be the forerunner for the Christ, the Messiah. In verses 8 through 17, we see that God answers prayer. So now as we look at the next few verses, we see that God does answer this situation. All through the Bible, we do learn that God controls the womb. We see way back in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah followed God. But they could not have a child until God's appointed time. And then Isaac, the child of promise. In 1 Samuel 1, we see Hannah. Hannah could not have a child. Hannah and Elkanah until God provided the child. God controls the womb. And it's no different right here. So now we have Zechariah, who is the priest. And he is selected to go into the temple to burn incense. By the way, this was a high honor. I have read that there were as many as 13,000 priests. In the Jewish system in that day. That's a lot. 13,000 priests. And they chose by lot. And the one priest chosen went into the temple to burn incense. I mean, imagine being one of 13,000. And you're just kind of wondering, am I going to get chosen? Because it's a high privilege, but they also went in with fear and trembling. Lest they do this wrongfully and God strikes them down. God is a holy God. Hebrews 13 says he's a consuming fire and he's no one to be trifled with. And I do fear, I do believe that many times we do trifle with him. Many times we do take our sin lightly. This was a high honor and it was not to be taken lightly. But guess what? Of the 13,000, God had the chosen priest, Zechariah. Be chosen that day by lot to go in the temple because God wanted Zechariah 
to be in there at that time for God to send his Moloch, his angelos, his messenger in and declare his message to him that his wife, though very elderly, was going to bear a child and the child was gonna be the forefront runner of the Messiah. It was not coincidence that Zachariah was chosen by Lot. It was God who controlled that. Verse 10 shows that a whole multitude were outside praying while he was inside performing his priestly duty. I wonder, do we pray for the worship services? That's what they're doing. There's a whole multitude. He's in there doing the priestly duty, and there's a whole multitude outside praying. What are they praying for? Are they praying that the duty is taken care of properly, that their sins are atoned for? I, I, believe, I believe probably. Are they praying that he doesn't mishandle anything? Because by the Old Testament law, by the Old Testament system, they, they realize God is a holy God. He's a righteous God, and they had to cleanse themselves. Look at Exodus 19. They had to cleanse themselves properly before they went to God. We don't have to do that anymore because Jesus has done it for us. They're out there praying. I wonder if they're praying for the Messiah. I wonder if they're praying... Today, Lord, may it be this year that you come. Are we praying for our worship services? I wonder, and I want to challenge you. We have a church growth task force, and and, and we're talking a lot about prayer. Our spiritual life team met a few weeks ago. We talked a lot about prayer. Please pray for the worship services for Bethel Friends. Please pray. We have one Saturday night and Sunday morning. Please pray, Lord, today. Send people, not just one, many, to come to our worship service who do not know you, who do not know the Lord, and may today be the day of their salvation. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents, and so should we. Pray that that happens. Pray that at the worship services, we worship God in spirit spirit and truth. Pray that the worship services, people are rededicating their life to him. That people who are just believers, fans on the sidelines, but not not really making Jesus Lord of their life would repent of that. And pray that God, the Holy Spirit, is working in you in the worship services too. And certainly for me, as I declare God's word and for our worship team as they lead, pray for our ministries at Bethel, friends, the youth, the children, the technology, everything, the, the outreach, everything. Be in prayer please. That's what we see here. They are outside praying. Don't look at that verse and just skim over it. That is powerful. They are outside praying. We could have a whole sermon just on that verse. They are outside praying as Zachariah is in there delivering the Lord's, doing the Lord's work. Now you're wondering, what about the angel? I want to talk about angels, right? Verses 11 and 12 shows the angel Gabriel shows up. I wonder what would this be like? Many times we read the stories in the Bible and we read them and we skim over them. Okay, that was then, this is now. These were real people and this really happened. I wonder, like, what would it be like if I'm doing my pastoral service, you know, going through here on, on Sunday morning or Megan is getting the communion elements ready or I'm preparing for the sermon or, or checking that when I come in on Sunday mornings, I, I check and pray, Lord, make the camera show up on the computer, make it work right, make this computer power. What if I'm doing those types of things? All of a sudden I look over, there's an angel. Because that's what it says right here. The angel was on the right side of the temple. It even shows where the angel Gabriel was at. And Zachariah was fearful. What would it be like if you're doing your devotions and you're just praying in the morning and and all of a sudden you look over and there's an angel and the angel is giving you a message. I think the first thing we would do is we'd get fearful. (laughs) More than once, like twice in the book of Revelation, John tries to worship the angel because an angel in, in the worship and the angel says, don't worship me, worship God. But angels were amazing. They were majestic. They were fearful. So the angel has to say, do not fear. This is powerful. 
And in verse 13, the angel tells him that his prayer has been heard. What was his prayer? Was his prayer that he was going to have a child? That's oftentimes what I think. Usually I think his prayer, he's praying for a child. But maybe it's the prayer for the Messiah that has been heard. It's probably both. His wife is going to have a child and his son, their son, will be the forerunner for the Messiah. So God is going to have a double prayer answered. It's pretty amazing. They're going to push a walker and a stroller at the same time because they're older. I'll let that sink in. They're older and God's going to answer the prayer. But the prayers are answered according to his divine plan. We must realize that this all is taking place to prepare the way for the Messiah. All of these details are coming together for Christ's advent. So then in verses 16 and 17, we see John's role. John the baptizer will be, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the time of his womb. That is powerful. How many Christians have the Holy Spirit? Anyone? All of them. Romans 8, 9, if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. How many people in the Old Testament had the Holy Spirit? Only certain ones. The Holy Spirit was given to them for a certain time to do his divine will. That's why David prayed in Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, do not take the Holy Spirit from me. But John right here is going to have the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. That's when Mary went to see Elizabeth, the baby leaped in her womb. Mary and Elizabeth both had unplanned pregnancies. One was to be the Messiah, one was to be the forerunner. The Bible says, John the baptizer will turn many of the Jewish people back to the Lord their God, verse 16. John the baptizer had a, had a role in calling the people to repentance. He will be the forerunner. As the forerunner, he will be in the spirit and power of Elijah. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, God talked about sending a messenger ahead of the Messiah. And then again in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, God talked about the same thing. Now, Malachi was 400 years before here. Malachi was 400 years before this point. From the book of Malachi, for 400 years, they called it the 400 years of silence. There was no word from, from the Lord. They had gone in the temple every year. The priests had done their priestly duty. They did not have any angelic appearances like this. And now, just an ordinary day, right? God showed up. Someday, on just an ordinary day, God's going to show up again to call his church home. Joy to the World, one of my favorite Christmas songs, was written about the second coming of Jesus. Are you praying like the people there, like John the Baptizer's father, Zechariah, for the Lord to not only save people here, but to come again? This is all happening to prepare the way for the Messiah. But notice that Zechariah had unbelief. In verse 18, Zechariah asks how this is going to happen. He's old. His wife is advanced in years. And, and R.C. Sproul says, it's like Zacharias says, you got the wrong address, Mr. Angel. <laughs> no, the angel knew the right address, right? Then look at verse 19. Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. These people were human. 
They had doubts, they had fears. And the Bible does not gloss over these issues. That, that's, that's a proof of the authenticity of the scriptures. If man was to just write this and make this up, we would skip that part, wouldn't we? I mean, Zechariah has an angel standing right next to him, and he still asks how, how this is going to happen. How does he ask? There's an angel right next to him. Like, I mean, I've never encountered an angel like that. Not like that. I, I've never actually known that there was an angel next to me. You would think when you have this angelic being right next to you, you, you don't want to ask questions. You just obey. But he was human. No different than you and me, except that he followed the Lord. And the Lord chose to declare what he was going to do and bringing in the forerunner to the Messiah, accomplishing his plan of redemption during that time. God will still use us in our unbelief. It's no excuse for unbelief, but it's a reminder. God will use us in our unbelief. God has not given up on any of us, and God has big plans. God sent Gabriel to announce his plans. Prior to this, there was the 400 years of silence, as I mentioned. From the time of Malachi until this passage, there was 400 years without special revelation from God. How many of you like waiting on things? How many of you like even waiting five minutes? I mean, imagine they waited 400 years without a word from the Lord. Del Tekkett, the author and speaker of the Truth Project, compares this to an Apollo 13 incident. On the evening of April 13th, when the crew was 200,000 miles away from Earth and closing in on the moon, mission controller Cy Libergott saw a low-pressure warning signal on a hydrogen tank in Odyssey. Alarm lights lit up in Odyssey and in mission control as oxygen pressure fell and power disappeared. The crew notified mission control with Houston... We've had a problem. For re-entry to the Earth's atmosphere, there would be a blackout period lasting a few minutes. During the silence, Mission Control petitioned. Apollo 13, this is Houston. Do you read me? Del Tekkit comments, the Apollo 13 blackout lasted only a few minutes. And then they were Okay. Unless it was a government cover-up, which I don't mean to plant ideas in your head. They were okay. It only lasted a few minutes. Imagine 400 years of silence. Then the silence was broken. At the right time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, and fulfilled all the promises and the prophecies. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, our Redeemer, into the world. That by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. Lord God, we worship you. We celebrate the gospel. We celebrate today. Lord God, if there's anyone here who has not surrendered their life to you as Lord and Savior, maybe you are pricking their heart today. Maybe today is a day of salvation. I pray that that would be the case. And may today be the day where they firmly make the decision to be with you in order to become like you, to learn and do all that you say and arrange their affairs around you. May today be the day to confess they're a sinner in need of a savior. Confess, believe, believe that you are the one and only savior. Trust, trust in you. 
and commit to you. Confess, believe, trust, and commit. For Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you. And we praise you that there is a way and it's free. Thank you for answering Zachariah's prayer. We look forward to your second coming, but for now, Lord, may we live for you. May we walk with you, knowing that we are never alone, for the Holy Spirit is with us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to conclude with ESRP, so if you're able to stand with us.